we're going to be considering the fourth commandment, which has to do with our worship of God as to the time that we are to worship God. Uh, the Lord has designated a day, one day out of seven, that we are to give to Him. And uh, so we'll be considering various aspects of the Sabbath. We'll be focusing our attention primarily uh, this Lord's Day upon the uh, commandments we find it in the Decalogue. And then we'll be uh, growing or expanding to other passages of Scripture to elaborate on our responsibilities as well as our privileges with regard to the Lord's Day so that we have a very clear understanding of uh, the Sabbath. Mark chapter 3. I'm just going to read the first six verses. And he entered the synagogue again, and a man was there who had a withered hand. And they watched him closely, whether he would heal him on the Sabbath, so that he might accuse him. Then he said to the man who had the withered hand, Step forward. And he said to them, Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they kept silent. So when he had looked around at them with anger, being grieved by the hardness of their hearts, he said to the man, Stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out, and his hand was restored as whole as the other. And then the Pharisees went out and immediately plotted with Herodians against him how they might destroy him. So ends the reading of God's word. College student wrote in a tract to do, distribute to his fellow students on campus, and he entitled his tract, I Believe in All Nine of the Ten Commandments. Uh, this little uh, quip comes from uh, a book that I read uh, some time ago, and uh, uh, the point was that was being made was to simply awaken Christians to their habit of completely ignoring and neglecting the fourth commandment. For many professing Christians, the Lord's Day is basically like the other six days of the week, except time may be set aside an hour or so, so as to spend that hour in worship with one's family. And then afterwards, the thoughts and cares and the attention of Christians can once again be diverted from the things of the Lord to uh, their business, to their recreations, to their pleasures, to doing their own thing. In fact, for a Christian today to confess that he or she believes the fourth commandment is still morally binding upon Christians, not only upon Christians, but upon all people everywhere, even as the other nine are, is to invite unbelieving stares from people. Incredulous questions like, are you some kind of legalistic Christian lost in the Old Testament time warp? Wake up, man. It's the 20th century. You're not under law. You're under grace. Sunday's just like any other day. 
except just go to church, you know, give that hour to the Lord, and you can do it with the, the rest of the day as you please. What's well, a very good question? Whose day is it? To whom does this day belong? To you? To your family? To your friends? To your house? To your car? To your business? It's no accident that the term that's used in the New Testament is the Lord's day. Not the Lord's hour. Not the Lord's morning. Not the Lord's afternoon, but the Lord's day. An entire day set aside each week, given over to the Lord for the purpose of worshiping Him and adoring Him for His many mercies that He has shown us. About this time, someone may begin to complain, an entire day each week? Wow, that's just asking too much to give an entire day. To the Lord. I simply can't afford it. I'm too busy. I work so hard the other six days of the week. My family needs some time with me. I need a family day. And Sunday happens to be that family day. You know, God does expect me to be a good father, doesn't He? A good husband. Absolutely, He does. And He expects you to to do that in the best way possible, which is to honor Him first and foremost and to set His day aside as holy. You can't do anything that will be more important to your family, to your children, than for you as the head of a home to set aside and set an example as to how to honor that day and give it over to the Lord. And so I ask you, dear ones, are you giving to God on the Lord's Day, are you giving Him leftover hours as you might simply give to a pet in the house leftovers after the scraps? Are you giving Him the scraps of the Lord's Day? Are you giving Him the whole day? Now, I know we all fall short in this area. God help us. God be merciful to us. But until we recognize that it is a sin, if we continue to excuse it, ignore it, neglect it, we'll never repent of it. We'll never grow in regard to how to sanctify that day and commit it unto God. I wonder if God will on that last day when you stand before Him look at you and declare you robbed me. You stole from me. You may say how God did I rob you by not giving me my day. You gave me a part of the day. You gave me the leftovers of the day, but you did not devote the whole day unto me. You know, time is something that we all have the same amount of. We can talk about money and tithing, and some may say, but I just don't have enough to tithe. That's not an excuse either. 
But very clearly, we all have 24 hours each day. None is more rich nor more poor with regard to time. And God commands that one-seventh of our time be devoted to Him, His day. You remember in Malachi chapter 3, that particular statement with regard to tithing, God says that you have robbed me. And the people say, well, how have we robbed you? By not bringing your tithes unto me. And God pronounces upon the people both a curse for not tithing as well as a blessing for those who do tithe. Well, in like manner, as we've already read from Isaiah chapter 58, we find that God curses the nation of Israel because they have not devoted the Sabbath unto God as he has commanded. Isaiah chapter 58 there we find that they said, we are fasting, God. We, uh, we're meeting with you. But they were simply going through the outward motions of it. There was nothing internally that was, that was really at heart in their worship. They were not gathering to honor God. They were simply fulfilling an obligation and duty. And that it is. It is a duty. It is an obligation. But unless it comes from the heart... We've only fulfilled part of our duty. Unless it's worship that is of spirit and truth, we've not fulfilled our entire duty. And so the Lord says in chapter 58 of Isaiah, verses 13 and 14, that if you turn away your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight, not a burden, not a drudgery, but a delight. The holy day of the Lord, honorable. And shall honor Him not doing your own ways, nor speaking your own words. Notice the blessing. Then you shall delight yourself in the Lord. And I will cause you to ride on the high hills of the earth and feed you with the heritage of Jacob your father. The mouth of the Lord has spoken. You see how God ties in delighting in the Sabbath in verse 13 with delighting in the Lord. You can't delight in the Lord without delighting in the Sabbath, dear ones. They go hand in hand. My dear friends, God is not asking too much of you by asking you to give Him one day out of seven. In the fourth commandment, it's as if God had said to you, I'm not a hard taskmaster. I do not begrudge you the time to take care of all of your business and all of your needs. I have given you six days to do your work and to take care of all other matters of life that you may have. And I have taken just one day for myself, though I am the God who has given, you, given all things unto you.
just one day, God would be saying to us, I might have reserved four days for myself and three for you. I might have reserved six days for myself and one for you. But I'm merciful and gracious. I know that you have needs. I've given you six days to do all of your work, fill all of those obligations, and give one to me. Is that asking too much? Absolutely not. Is there any greater insult than to say to your wife or your husband or your children, I don't have time for you. Can you think of anything that would be more insulting? I don't have time for you. Of course, we don't usually come right out and say that. We don't say it to our wife or our husband or our children. But in our persistent neglect of spending time with them, when we should be making time, we are nevertheless saying the same, th the same thing. We're saying, when we simply neglect to spend time with them, I don't have time for you. And that goes on and on and on. We can cut them, dear ones, out of our lives in the same way as if we said, I don't want to spend time with you by simply neglecting to do so. This may be done by simply filling our time with matters, many other matters, until there is no time left for the family at all. In such a busy age with so many pressures coming from all sides, there is no greater compliment, on the contrary to what I've said just earlier, there's no greater compliment than to say to your family, I have time, and I have time especially for you because I love you and I care for you I may not be able as a father to give you all that I want to give you as far as material possessions but I have time for you because I care for you and I love you can your eyes be you are so wide open when it comes to spending time with your families. And yet, can you be so blind when it comes to spending time with the Lord of glory? For you see, time for the Lord, time for the one who created you and blessed you with all that you have, died in your place to set you free from your sins and made you a child of His and has purchased a place for you in heaven. Time for this great, loving, and mighty, and merciful God is what the fourth commandment is all about. Setting aside time that God might meet with you and you with Him. The fourth commandment, as it's found in Exodus chapter 20 and again in Deuteronomy 5 Exodus chapter 20 
Well, I'll be going through this particular commandment uh, this Lord's Day. And we'll begin looking at other passages throughout the scriptures in following weeks. But in Exodus chapter 20, we find the fourth commandment. This is the last of the first table commandments, which speak directly of your love-bound duty to God. Now remember that the first four commandments are summarized by the commandment that Jesus called the greatest of the commandments. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Those first four commandments summarize or explain that particular commandment. Do you want to know how to love God? In what way can you show God that you love Him? God tells you how. He doesn't leave it up to your imagination. He's not hidden this from you. He tells you how you can love Him by keeping his, these first four commandments. By keeping the first commandment that's found in Exodus 23, you shall have no other gods before me. By keeping the second commandment, which prescribes the way in which we are to worship the one true and living God that's given to us as the object of our worship in the first commandment. In the second commandment, you shall not make for yourself any carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that, that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them nor serve them for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me but showing mercy to thousands to those who love me and keep my commandments. So you worship God according to the second commandment in the way that he commands you. Not adding to nor taking from. Following precisely that manner in which God has laid out for us. And in the third commandment, we love God in this way by not taking the name of the Lord your God in vain. For the Lord your God will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. This particular commandment gives to us the attitude with which we are to approach God. We're to come to God with an attitude of reverence in our own heart. Not to take God flippantly. Not to take him lightly. And finally we come to the fourth commandment which declares to us the time that is required to express our love to him in worship and service. The fourth commandment reads, beginning with verse 8, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work. You, nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your manservant, nor your maidservant, nor your cattle, nor your stranger who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. You remember from a previous sermon as we went through this very briefly, the, the Decalogue, just to refresh your memory, that very first verse 
says, and God spoke all these words. He spoke them all. He didn't speak commandments one through three. And then Moses spoke the fourth commandment. And then God spoke commandments five through ten. So that the fourth commandment is not something directly spoken by God. God spoke all these words. These are the Ten Commandments. They are not the Ten Suggestions. And they are bound together as one unit. Turn with me to Exodus 34. You will find this phrase, Ten Commandments, mentioned on at least three occasions. Exodus 34 is one of those occasions. Verses 27 through 28, this was the second time which Moses, in which Moses went up to the mountain to receive the law of God. And God again wrote upon the tablets these same ten commandments. It says in verse 27, Then the Lord said to Moses, Write these words, for according to the, to the tenor of these words, I have made a covenant with you and with Israel. So he is there with the Lord forty days and forty nights. He neither ate bread nor drank water, and he wrote on the tablets the words of the covenant, the Ten Commandments. Not the nine, but the ten. Again, we read in, in Deuteronomy 4.13. Deuteronomy 4.13. <clears throat> Remember that Moses is now in Deuteronomy rehearsing the law of God just before God's people enter into the land of Canaan. They have wandered in the wilderness for 40 years because of their unfaithfulness to God and now they are ready to enter the land. And we read these words in Deuteronomy 4.13. So he, that is God, declared to you his covenant which he commanded you to perform. That is the Ten Commandments and he wrote them on two tablets of stone. The Ten Commandments. <clears throat> God made it very clear because of the circumstances that surrounded the Ten Commandments and the giving of them to God's people that this was uh, an extraordinary expression of his covenant love to them and that they were to be faithful to obey all ten. Remember all of those particular events that surrounded the giving of the commandments. God gathered all his people around the mountain. There was the, the dark clouds. There was the thundering and the lightning, the shaking of the earth, and then God thundered forth his voice. And the people couldn't even stand to hear the voice of God. And they said, Moses, you speak to us, but do not let God speak to us. Because God had trumpeted forth like mighty rushing waters his own commandments and words to them. There is something unique about these particular commandments and we are not free to simply discard and reject any of them. God himself engraved in stone with his very finger all ten of these commandments to demonstrate the abiding character 
of these, the summary of God's moral law to his people, summarizing all that God requires of us. None of these laws, dear ones, are temporary ceremonial laws that passed away with Christ's coming. For all of them were placed in that sacred place, the Ark of the Covenant, under the wings of God, as it were, in His very presence, as a continual reminder of His keeping covenant with them as well as their keeping covenant with Him through the obedience of these laws. No ceremonial laws here were given. I would ask anyone who, as we look at these particular, in the next four weeks, will be raising various objections with regard to uh, those who do not believe that Sabbath observance is still mandatory, that we are required to do so by God's law. Why didn't God include any other holy convocations in the Ten Commandments. If this is a ceremonial law, like the other ceremonial laws, the other festivals, the Passover, Tabernacles, Pentecost, why was it only the Sabbath that God included in the Ten Commandments? If you look at Leviticus chapter 23 with me, Leviticus 23. Notice as we go through very quickly this chapter, he gives all of the holy convocations that God required his people to keep. Begins with Sabbath in verse 3. Six days shall work be done, but the seventh day is a Sabbath, a solemn rest, a holy convocation. You shall do no work on it. It is the Sabbath of the Lord in all your dwellings. You'll keep seeing that phrase, a holy convocation, a holy gathering of God's people throughout this particular chapter. We need to continually remind ourselves when we gather on the Lord's Day, this is a holy convocation. It's not something to be taken lightly. Again, that gives us great a caution to watch our speech because it is a holy convocation. The second feast, the second uh, holy convocation is the Passover. And notice in, in verses 7 through 8, it speaks of the Passover. On the first day you shall have a holy convocation. You shall do no customary work on it. Verse 8, But you shall offer an offering made by fire to the Lord for seven days. The seventh day shall be a holy convocation. You shall do no customary work on it. We can go through each of the, the commandments, each one of these particular festivals, and you will find that they're, in each one they are called the holy convocation, the feast of weeks, the feast of trumpets, the day of atonement, the feast of tabernacles. They're all called holy convocations. And they're commanded not to work on them. But why did God not put all the rest of those holy convocations into the Decalogue? Why the Sabbath? I not only suggest to you, 
But I tell you that the reason was because the Sabbath was not intended to be a ceremonial law that passed away with the coming of Jesus Christ, whereas those other festivals did. Some have attempted to put the Sabbath into, as I said, the category of ceremonial law. They'll state perhaps two reasons. Because it was given to Israel as a special covenant sign. And we can look to Exodus 31. We can see that's absolutely, they're absolutely right. We believe that as well. It was given to Israel as a covenant sign. Exodus 31, verses 12 through 17. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak also to the children of Israel, saying, Surely my Sabbaths you shall keep, for it is a sign between me and you throughout your generations, that you may know that I am the Lord who sanctifies you. You shall keep the Sabbath, therefore, for it is holy to you. Everyone who profanes it shall surely be put to death. For whoever does any work on it, that person shall be cut off from among his people. Work shall be done for six days, but the seventh is the Sabbath of rest, holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on the Sabbath day, he shall surely be put to death. Therefore, the children of Israel shall keep the Sabbath to observe the Sabbath throughout their generations as a perpetual covenant. It is a sign between me and the children of Israel forever, for in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, and on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. And so we can agree with them that the Sabbath, that is what the Scripture teaches, it was indeed a covenant sign to Israel from God. But we will see in just a moment that just because God gave it as a covenant sign to Israel does not in any way mean that we are not to obey it ourselves today. The second reason, very quickly, that those who would see the Sabbath as simply a ceremonial law that does not need to be observed today, the second reason they would give is because it was kept by the Jews on Saturday, the seventh day of the week. Whereas, we celebrate the Lord's Day, which is on the first day of the week. So that must mean that it was a ceremonial law because the day was changed. Well, let me simply respond by saying to both of those particular um, objections that we must see what was covenant law given by God to Israel and that all of the laws that God did give to Israel were indeed a part of the covenant that he was making with them. The Sabbath wasn't the only commandment that was a part of the covenant law. All that God gave to them in the Old Testament is God's covenant law that he gave to them to follow, to establish his covenant with them. We cannot be arbitrary and pick simply the, the Sabbath. However, we must also understand that many of the covenant laws which were given to Israel, God also intends for Christians from every tribe, tongue, and nation to keep. In other words, just because God gave certain laws to Israel as a people does not 
indicate that they are not morally binding upon all nations. Let me simply illustrate this in a few ways. Back to Exodus 20. Look with me at verse 12, which is the fifth commandment. Is this a ceremonial law? Honor your father and your mother? Well, read the, read the uh, commandment. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long upon the land which the Lord your God is giving you. What land was that? Israel, Canaan, Palestine. We might as well say that the fifth commandment is not binding upon all people because it pertained to that specific land which God was giving to Israel. But when you go to Ephesians chapter 6, God changes that particular, that particular aspect of the promise in that commandment that is given. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 3. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise. Verse 3, that it may be well with you and you may live long on the earth. On the earth. Not upon the land in Palestine, but now upon the earth. Now, if God commands one day out of seven to be devoted to him, and he simply changes the observation of it from the last day of the week to the first day of the week, in what does it differ from honoring your mother and your father. And if you obey that particular commandment, God promises to give you the land of Canaan as opposed to living long upon the earth. The substance of that moral commandment in both commandments 4 and 5 is kept. Even if things that are not essential to it, whether the land or whether the day, the specific day. God has a right to change the day if he chooses, but the substance of the commandment remains the same. <clears throat> I would furthermore ask a person who takes the this to be a ceremonial law, the fourth commandment, and ask them to Look at the first commandment. You shall have no other gods before me. Is that binding upon all nations? Or is that specifically for Israel? The second commandment, which commands them not to worship God by any graven image, by anything man might construct, by any means or innovation that man might bring into worship, which in the Old Testament involved quite a few of the ceremonial laws, did it not? 
And yet we do not continue to observe those ceremonial laws today. They've been done away with in Christ. The second commandment remains intact, though the observation of that particular commandment and the way in which it is observed, we don't have a priesthood today, uh, a Levitical priesthood. We have a great high priest. We're all priests, kings who reign with Christ. And so we see as we move from these particular commandments, the essence, the substance of those commandments are moral. All ten of them. Though we see that there is a different application. Dear ones, the Sabbath cannot be ceremonial since it was instituted before the fall. We'll look at that a little more closely. It was instituted before the fall. Ceremonial laws were brought in to restore people back to God as a result of sin. But the Sabbath was instituted before there was any sin. It was instituted in the week of creation. And so it has nothing to do with ceremonial law at all. It's a part of God's original plan to give man one day from the very beginning to worship and adore him for God to meet with his people these ten commandments dear ones are the very laws God has written on the tablets of our hearts and placed within the tabernacle of this flesh God says in Jeremiah 31 and Hebrews 10, I will put my laws into their hearts and in their minds I will write them. It is these very commandments and these laws that God writes upon the hearts of his people. I might also mention kind of an interesting side note. It doesn't probably bear a whole lot of consequence when one's really... Uh, arguing or debating the issue of whether the Sabbath is morally binding, but I think it is interesting that this fourth commandment is given more space by God than any other of the other the, any of the other commandments. In the actual Hebrew text, the first commandment, seven words; the second commandment, forty-three words; the third commandment, seventeen words; the fifth commandment, fifteen words. The sixth commandment, two words. The seventh commandment, two words. The eighth commandment, two words. The ninth commandment, five words. The tenth commandment, 15 words. But the fourth commandment, 55 words. More space is devoted to this particular commandment. And yet this, of all the commandments, is the one that is usually ignored, neglected, and removed from the other nine. That, I believe, is why this fourth commandment begins with remember. Remember, don't forget this fourth commandment, God declares. I know you're busy. I know that the tendency is to just get wrapped up in everything that you have. I know life gets hectic and it will be easy to forget and ignore and neglect my day. But I, the Lord your God, command you, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Manage your time so that the whole day 
is kept holy to me, God says. Dear ones, to keep the whole day holy simply means to set it aside from ordinary common use so that it's specifically devoted to God. You know, all of the uh, equipment and utensils that were in the tabernacle and in the temple, the furniture that was in there was said to be holy. I was even reading this morning that uh, one could pay uh, with his own life in trying to, to uh, imitate the anointing oil or the incense. If one tried to formulate his own concoction of the anointing oil or the incense, could be cut off from Israel for that. Because it was holy. It was set apart for God's specific use. And you couldn't use it just in any way you wanted to. And all the utensils were set apart for God's use. That's what it means when God says His day is holy. It is set aside for His use. It's set aside for our benefit. It's set aside for our profit. But it's set entirely aside for God. Not for us to spend it in the day in the way that we believe it ought to be spent. It uniquely belongs to Him. Now that, dear one, shouldn't give, uh, should give no child of God heartburn at all. The fact that God says He wants one day out of seven and we're to devote it to Him. It should not bother us at all. Doesn't a child, as I've already alluded to, squeal with joy when his dad says, children, listen, don't you really enjoy the fact that your dad would say, we're going to spend the whole day together. We're going to do something, just you and me. We're going to go out and I'm going to spend this time with you. Or to take all the children together and to go out and spend the day with you. That's something that you look forward to. And that's exactly what God says in the Sabbath. I'm going to spend the whole day with you and you with me. This is my day. It's not to be a burden at all. It's to be a great delight. A heart that loves the Lord will leap for joy at the prospect of one day each week spent with the Lord. In fact, when the Sabbath is over, what will be in their mind is, I can hardly wait till the next Sabbath and I can spend that next Lord's Day with God and bring my family, as it were, under my wing into His very presence to worship and adore the Lord God Almighty. It's the worldly, self-absorbed person that will despise and regret giving God the whole day. Now, on this day, the Lord declares you are not to do your ordinary work and activities according to this particular commandment. He says very clearly that there are six other days for you to do all of your work that you need to do. But this day is unique. Verses 9 and 10 
We read these words, Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work. No work. Shabbat, which is the Hebrew word for Sabbath, means rest. It does not mean, however, inactivity. It means rest. It means rest from your own labors, from your own work to do the acts of worship, private as well as public worship, to spend that day with the Lord. From our larger catechism, read these words. <clears throat> How is the Sabbath of the Lord's Day to be sanctified? This is question 117. The Sabbath or Lord's Day is to be sanctified by and holy resting all the day, not only from such works as are at all times sinful, but even from such worldly employments and recreations as are on other days lawful, and making it our delight to spend the whole time except so much of it as is to be taken up in works of necessity and mercy, in the public and private exercises of God's worship. And to that end, we are to prepare our hearts with such foresight, diligence, and moderation to dispose and seasonably dispatch our worldly business that we may be the more free and fit for the duties of that day. We see in this particular commandment not only does it indicate that one day out of seven is to be given to the Lord but it also indicates that six days out of seven are to be devoted to work. That we are to use the other six days we may uh, have a five-day work week but if we're taking the Lord's day off that other day I think should also be uh, given to catching up on all the things around the house so that you don't have to do that on the Lord's Day. That doesn't mean that you cannot uh, recreate. Uh, the Puritans certainly had a, a, uh, a noble and godly view of recreation that there was appropriate times for that. But there are six days that God says we are to work I think the more a nation ignores the Sabbath commandment, the fourth commandment, the more that nation will become self-absorbed in recreation, self-absorbed in pleasures, self-absorbed in idleness, rather than working and being productive those six days. The more that I hear about four-day work weeks and three-day work weeks and this type of thing, uh, even though you're working longer hours in those days, it still is giving, setting aside particular days, whole days. For what? Well, I'm of the opinion that God wants us to devote 
the fall of this particular schedule, working six days and setting aside one of those days entirely for the Lord. That's how I believe God intends in Genesis 1, 26-28 that we will bring the world under the dominion of Jesus Christ if we are faithful to our callings to work and to use those skills for the Lord. <clears throat> but also note in this particular commandment that you are not only to take rest for yourselves, you are to give rest to others as well. It says, not only in it you shall do no work, but it says you, nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your manservant, nor your maidservant, nor your cattle, nor your stranger who is within your gates. You're not to employ others to serve or work for you on the Lord's Day, except, uh, as we've already noted from the larger catechism, deeds of necessity and mercy are to be performed on the Lord's Day. We will talk more about uh, these particular categories in one of the future sermons. But uh, for the time being, we do recognize that there are deeds of necessity and mercy, that uh, there are things that uh, people must be employed in in order to, uh, to care for people. Uh, we need law and order. We need policemen on, on the job. We need the hospitals open. We need the druggist uh, to open to be able to obtain medicine. And so there are those particular deeds of necessity and mercy that will continue to be performed on the Lord's Day. But people will work on the Lord's Day, someone might say. People are going to work on the Lord's Day even if I don't employ them by buying from them. So what difference does it make if I go and support them, you know, to go to a restaurant or buy groceries on the Lord's Day? They're not going to close just because uh, I don't go uh, to their uh, business, their place of uh, work. Well, that may be the case. But what does the Lord yet command? You see, what someone else decides to do on the Lord's Day is between them and God. It should be between them and the civil magistrate, too. But, uh, but uh, it isn't at this particular point. But, nevertheless, what is your responsibility, regardless your responsibility before God is not to support them because they are working for you as a manservant or a maidservant. You're not to employ them. You're not to use their products. No selling or buying other than for things that are of necessity or mercy should be bought or sold on the Lord's Day. In Nehemiah chapter 13, Nehemiah 13. We find these words. <clears throat> One of the situations in which Nehemiah had to deal with in his reforms that he was bringing into a um, post-exilic 
Israel. They had returned from captivity. And there were many things that Nehemiah had to reform, but this was one of those things that he had to bring reformation to, was the observance of the Lord's Day, the Sabbath. And we find, in beginning with verse 15, it says, In those days I saw in Judah some people treading wine presses on the Sabbath, and bringing in sheaves and loading donkeys with wine, grapes, figs, and all kinds of burdens which they brought into Jerusalem on the Sabbath day. And I warned them about the day on which they were selling provisions. Men of Tyre dwelt there also, who brought in fish and all kinds of goods and sold them on the Sabbath to the children of Judah in Jerusalem. Then I contended with the nobles of Judah and said to them, What evil thing is this that you do by which you profane the Sabbath day? Did not your fathers do thus? And did not our God bring all this disaster on us and on this city? Yet you bring added wrath on Israel by profaning the Sabbath. So it was at the gates of Jerusalem, as it began to be dark before the Sabbath, that I commanded the gates to be shut, and charged that they must not be opened till after the Sabbath. Then I, paused, then I posted some of my servants at the gates, so that no burdens would be brought in on the Sabbath day. Now the merchants and sellers of all kinds of wares lodged outside Jerusalem once or twice. So I warned them and said to them, Why do you spend the night around the wall? If you do so again, I will lay hands on you. From that time on, they came no more on the Sabbath. Notice that in this particular passage, that Nehemiah, a civil magistrate, having been given the power to execute uh, uh, God's laws, to bring about uh, the, uh, uh, the justice of God upon the people through sanctions, he becomes involved in this particular Sabbath violation. And he's not only going to impose the Sabbath upon Jews, but he speaks, as it says earlier, there were those men of Tyre who were there. As the commandment says, it's not only the you, your daughter, your son, your manservant or maidservant, but it is even the alien who lives and abides within you that is to keep the Sabbath. And so, Nehemiah says, don't park your goods outside the gate anymore. Don't sit there waiting until the Sabbath is over so that you can come to sell your goods within the city. Get away from the walls. Next time, I'm going to lay my hands on you. It's not going to be a pretty sight. And so, again, we see here that this particular commandment is applied to aliens and foreigners. Now, it's true that alien and foreigners were also forbidden. I think this is an important thing to note. They, they were also forbidden from working on other Jewish days of holy convocation. They were not permitted to work on the Day of Atonement and all the other holy days in which work was not permitted. 
And so someone might say, well, that's no different than all the other days. But my point still is then, why the Sabbath within the Decalogue and not the others? It still is absolutely unique. God intends for all to keep and obey the Sabbath. <clears throat> the foreign, foreigners and aliens were not required to worship with God's people on the Sabbath. In Exodus 12:19, we find in many other places where if they do desire to worship the Lord, they are to be circumcised and go through the various rites to be clean so that they can worship God aright. They were not required to abstain they were not required to worship with God's people, but they were required to abstain from their work. From their work. Within the commandment, it not only says that you're to give, you're not only to give manservant, maidservant rest. They're not to be employed. But notice that it's, it says as well that the cattle are to be given rest as well. nor your cattle are to work. We see that God is very merciful and gracious. This is a day of rest, physical rest, for people. It's a day of physical rest even for the animals in that particular culture. It should be a day of rest for other kinds of, of burden-bearing machinery as well. As animals would carry burdens, as animals would do the labor and the work for God's people at that time, so machinery today that can at least, it does not affect deeds of necessity or mercy, things that can be shut down ought to be shut down. We ought to give as well that rest, even though we may not employ actual animals, we ought to give rest even to machinery. This particular day, dear ones, is a day of spiritual refreshment, but it's a day of physical refreshment for God's people as well. <clears throat> now, let me simply as we draw to a close let me give to you from the commandment the three warrants the three incentives that warrant the giving of one day out of seven to God why does God say that one day is to be given to him out of seven <clears throat> number one God says that he himself established and kept the first Sabbath. Verse 11. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested the seventh day. Therefore man, because man is created in the image of God, is to imitate his creator, and he is to rest one day out of seven as well. 
And we will look at this particular objection that some offer against even in Genesis chapter 2, God resting on the seventh day. Some would say that God didn't rest in order for man to observe it at that particular time. Uh, but I would simply, just uh, before, uh, since we'll be getting into this uh, more in detail later, let me simply say that God doesn't bless and sanctify anything unless it's to be used by man at that particular point in time. God blesses and sanctifies as you look through the scripture, as you look at what God blesses, look up the, in your concordance the word blessed, Look up the word sanctify, and I challenge you, as you do, you will find that whenever you find those words, that God is setting apart those things for man's use at that time and not to be used proleptically sometime in the future, but at that point in time. And so Sabbath-keeping, dear ones, is not an exclusively Jewish ordinance. It is a creation ordinance for all mankind. There were no Jews on the face of the earth at that time. It was intended like marriage, like labor. God gave labor. God gave marriage. At that time, those are creation ordinances. God gave the Sabbath. And as he blessed man, and said, be fruitful and multiply. And that was not intended to be practiced hundreds of years in the future. So he blessed the Sabbath day and sanctified it for man's benefit and for God's glory, beginning then, and to pass on from that point on. And we find in Genesis 4, 3, a very interesting passage that would, would at least give some indication that it was practiced thereafter Genesis 4 3 this speaks of the uh, birth of Cain and Abel verses 1 and 2 says that Abel was a keeper of the sheep but Cain was a tiller of the ground verse 3 says in the process of time this is what the new King James version says in the process of time it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord Abel also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of their fat. And the Lord respected Abel and his offering. I'll stop there. But that phrase, you see what's happening here? They're bringing their offerings. They're, bringing, uh, they're worshiping God. Abel is bringing uh, his firstlings of the flock and Cain is bringing his uh, uh, fruit of the ground. But that phrase, in the process of time, literally means at the end of the days. The end of the week, the last day of the week. In the Hebrew language, at the end of the days, they brought their sacrifices to the Lord. We know that the Sabbath was not instituted on Mount Sinai because we see a few weeks before in Exodus 16 that God commands them to celebrate the Sabbath the following day. Exodus 16, long before, or a few weeks before, it gives the Decalogue. So it wasn't instituted at Mount Sinai. The fact that we don't find references to Sabbath-keeping uh, between uh, Cain and Abel and up to the time the children of Israel delivered 
does not in any way any way indicate that Sabbath keeping uh, was not carried on any more than when Josiah found the covenant, the law of God, and he read there about the Passover. And they celebrated the Passover in such a way, it says, that there was not a Passover celebrated like it before. You don't find the celebration of many of these particular um, uh, these particular festivals continuously, but at particular points in Reformation, when God brings his people to, to honor and to acknowledge that he's the one true God, then you find these festivals mentioned. And so, we go back to the Sabbath, as God uh, go back to creation as God does in Exodus chapter 20 to find that God himself was the one who first kept the Sabbath and sanctified it and blessed it. And so that's the second reason. Not only are we to imitate God, because God did so, but the second reason is that God did bless the Sabbath day and he made it holy. He made it holy. I would just ask, can we be so bold and arrogant to tell the Lord which of his blessings we want and which ones we don't want? He blessed it. We are to enjoy it. We are to delight in it. And the third reason, and that's found in Deuteronomy chapter 5, the other account of the giving of the Sabbath, or the giving of the Ten Commandments. In Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 15 we find this added <clears throat> as a warrant for the keeping of the, of the Sabbath. It's interesting in Deuteronomy chapter 5, it doesn't mention specifically the uh, uh, creation ordinance, but what it does mention in verse 15, notice, and remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt and that the Lord your God brought you out from there by a mighty hand and by an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. And so we find here the third warrant, the final warrant for keeping the Sabbath day. Because God is our deliverer. God delivered Israel. He delivered them from Egypt. And that illusion throughout the New Testament of God redeeming us. Jesus Christ is our Passover. The Lord's Supper was instituted, the Passover. We see that continual reminder that we have been set free, not from Egypt, but we have been set free from Satan, from sin, from hell, from bondage. And so we celebrate the Sabbath, dear ones, because God brought about the first creation. And we celebrate the Sabbath because God brought about the second creation through the resurrection of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who has created us anew. Because it was on the first day of the week, it was on the first day of the week that the Lord Jesus Christ arose from the dead, indicating that we were forgiven of all of our sins. And that he had become victorious over all of his enemies. The blessing of all blessings on the Sabbath day, dear ones, is that the Lord uniquely meets with you, his people. He meets with you in a holy convocation. He draws near to you. He calls you to come into his presence to worship and adore him. 
where you actually tell the Lord when he calls you to set aside that day, no, I'm not really too interested, Lord, in set aside, setting aside the whole day. It's often been compared to us responding and acting, say, before a monarch, say, the Queen of England. How would we prepare ourselves if we had the opportunity to have a personal audience with the Queen? Would we approach the Queen in a very flippant manner, careless, not serious, not sober-minded? Would we be uh, joking around or would we approach the Queen of England with the right attitude? I dare say that we would. If we can do so for a human monarch, how much more so for the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, the Lord of Glory. Many say they want to spend eternity with the Lord in a holy heaven and yet when God promises a little bit of heaven here upon the earth in the Sabbath day people either say ah, I'd rather spend it the way that I want to spend it Lord or they did not prepare themselves to meet with God in a holy convocation dear ones the Lord laid down his life for you he did so not to give you any of his leftovers. Can we do any less? Let us, by God's grace, offer to him the whole day in worship, private and public, and sanctify the day as holy unto the Lord. Psalm 118, I'll close with this passage, says, Verses 22 through 24. The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. When did that occur? Christ's resurrection. He became the chief cornerstone when he was raised from the dead. This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day which the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it.